Hello and welcome back to Detours, a glory sports podcast. As always, I'm your host, David Stahl. And today on the program, we have such an exciting episode with Nashville Predators prospect, two-time Memorial Cup finalist, and the first player to ever come out on an NHL contract, Luke Prokop, on the program. I was so excited to be able to speak with Luke, especially right before his first Pride Parade in Toronto. Now, for those unfamiliar, Luke came out via an Instagram post in 2021 and became, once again, the first player to ever do so while on an NHL contract, but was unable to really connect with the community in a in-person sense and, and to be able to travel up to Canada and participate in the Pride Parade because of COVID restrictions in years past. So this past spring was the first opportunity he had to do so. And we shot a cover shoot with Luke, which came out just a couple of weeks before this episode comes out. And he was such an intelligent well-spoken individual, obviously so well-accomplished on the ice in the WHL right now as a prospect trying to make his way onto the Predators roster this season, and such an incredible figure of representation for the community in a sport that needs it more than ever right now. We chatted this episode about his feelings towards the NHL's Pride Month debacle, in my words, his goals going into next season, and the process and and of, of coming out and the NHL community's reaction to it. So I want to thank Luke for giving his time so generously to the program. And please enjoy hearing from one of the most fascinating and inspiring individuals in hockey right now. Hey, Luke, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Yeah, no problem. Awesome, sweet. So I'll just make sure we're recording. Um, just for your own edification too, a lot of um, guests, I'm sure you're the same way, don't want like they they the, the long sort of intro of us singing your praises. So we do that separately. We do that before yeah. the pod. Um, so yeah. typically I'll just give you a short little intro and then we just dive right into it if that's cool. Yeah, sweet. That sounds good. All right, sweet. Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, fresh off a Memorial Cup final. I'm wondering, how does it feel to be in the offseason? Has it even hit you yet? Has that switch flipped where you're able to sort of get back into the flow of unwinding a little bit? Well, first of all, thank you for for having me on. Um, It hasn't hit necessarily yet, I don't think. It's always tough when you have that long of a season and you play with such a good team with such a good group of guys and you make it all the way to the final and you, you come up short. Um, but as, as some of the guys start leaving Seattle and stuff and can't hang out with them really anymore. And, um, just kind of around the billet house with my billet brother and, and my billet parents, we're just golfing a whole, a lot. And, um, the first week of the off season never really feels, you don't, you don't, you're kind of in, limbo you don't really know what to do and um because you have so much time to yourself so uh just trying to fill up my day as much as i can hasn't quite hit yet i'm sure and it's like i'm sure jarring to have oh my god we have this much time on our hands after such a fast-paced postseason schedule i'm wondering at the beginning of the season because you guys did have such a strong year obviously fell just short of the ultimate goal but at the beginning of the season did you guys envision yourselves at that 
final and and again in a such a competitive space yeah i think so um i mean i joined the team in november i was the you know one of i think maybe five acquisitions a team made during the season um obviously we i played seattle in the finals last year so i i knew what they were capable of already um i think they were maybe a little bit too young last year and uh, they brought the core group of guys back. They didn't lose too many and um, brought in some good key pieces that I think um, that they needed to for, for us to make a championship run. Uh, I knew we could make it to the finals of our league. I didn't know how we would do with the Memorial Cup because it's honestly kind of a toss-up with, with that tournament, like who's injured the most, um, who's had the most rest. Things like that are a key factor in that tournament. So to make it all the way to the final and, and uh, again, lose and come up just short. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a very successful season overall. We set so many new records for our franchise and went the farthest our franchise has ever gone. So um, I'm really proud of the group. Obviously this season was such a success, but I want to take more of a focus on your career at large because you are still so young and you have so much of it still ahead of you. So for those who aren't familiar with your story, I want to dive in, but I, of course, want to start at the beginning as well. I'm, I'm curious if maybe you could outline sort of your first initial love of hockey, where that spark came from, your introduction to the game, and, and sort of give people insight into your inception. Um, It was kind of just natural that I got into the sport. Um, my grandfather played, my dad played, my two, my brother who's two years older, he played. So, um, whenever I kind of just must have saw my brother playing hockey and I kind of wanted to get into it as well. Um, my dad would make a backyard rink for us, kind of that classic Canadian stereotype. Uh, he'd be out there, uh, in very cold weather, uh, making a rink for me and my brother. Um, and just being out there, I think that's kind of where you fall in love with the game. Not really in practice uh, with your team or anything like that. It's on the outdoor rinks, and you're kind of free to just do whatever you want and be whoever you want. With you know, as kids, we have such a big imagination. I remember I was Bobby Orr sometimes, or you know, I was I was Alexander Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby, and uh, trying to reenact, you know. Um, very famous goals or celebrations, things like that, that um, just make you kind of fall in love with the game. And uh, and then you you go through a process of getting older and um, meeting meeting new teammates every year and, and creating lifelong friendships and lifelong memories is, is something that uh, hockey has given me, and I'm very grateful for that. I, that's so funny to hear you say that because I take myself back to my driveway hoop and I'm pretending to be Kevin Garnett or I'm pretending to be Chris yeah. Paul. Or, and, yeah. you know, I think it's such a universally shared sort of inception of the love of the game and such a classic Canadian story like you touch on yeah. too, except at some point you start to diverge from, I'm sure, a lot of your peers and go, okay, wait, I'm... I'm a little better at this than most kids in the backyard rink. When did it start to feel like, okay, I have, I have an exceptional talent for the game. Probably when I was around um, uh, 12 years old, I would say. Uh, when I was younger, I made some pretty um, high profile teams 
that uh, you know I would represent my province or represent my city at, which was special. But I mean, there still were a lot of players at that time, and um, I really didn't know how good I was yet. Um, but yeah, Pee Wee first year, second year was when I was kind of around when I started to realize you know I might be able to have a career in this. Uh, we had a big, we had a really big league, kind of uh, all of northern Alberta. And, um, you know, I was, I was one of the top scorers in the league as a defenseman. Um, and I was starting to get recognized from schools, from scouts in the Western Hockey League and, um, you know, talking about being a high draft pick. So that was kind of when um, things for me just started to, I realized myself that I could, you know, play at a high level. Mm. And when did it start to feel, because this is sort of the classic, we had the chance to talk to Kirby Doc um, a few weeks ago, and it, you know, there's such a sort of precipice where you reach, okay, I'm so far ahead of my peers, and then you're in, grouped in with everyone else who was so far ahead of their peers. When did it start to feel like, okay, I'm really competing against everyone in the locker room right now for, for a spot? Um. Jeez, that's a good question. Uh, when I first moved to Kelowna for my Bantam draft year, um, that was kind of when the sports school leagues were taking over. So you would go and travel to, you know, a different city. A lot of players would, and you know, you would pay the the club, and you would get you know extra ice time, extra workouts, kind of things like that. It was a little bit of an advantage in that sense. Um, School was a little bit on the back burner because mm. that was for, you know, most of the kids that wanted to pursue hockey at a really high level. Um, and on that team, it was, I mean, we had such a stacked group. I, I mean, if I went back and looked at it, we had uh, five of the top 10 picks in my Bantam draft, which is, it's, it's unheard of to have that. And then six in the top 13. So playing on a group like that, um, having to earn my ice time and having to, you know, earn my kind of positioning on the blue line and then uh, going up against those forwards kind of every single day in practice and in games was, was really an eye opener for me. And it made me a whole lot better. Um, mm. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, ranked too high going into my draft year because of the year beforehand. And by the end of it, I was, um, almost a consensus, you know, top seven top six pick in the draft so um that that year for me was was really huge in my step of development and really huge for my my step as as a person mm. and i i think as you're saying that too i'm sort of brought back to my high school experience where i was never a hockey player by my, myself and i grew up in london and of course there's such a strong hockey yeah. culture with the knights and the junior knights and there were a lot of players who were sort of in that ohl feeder and again school was sort of on the back burner to some degree and it becomes that really tight-knit community of all these young men who are in this same cocoon of training and focus how much did you align yourself with, you know, uh, you're in this pod, this community. Did you, did you feel that when you were in that, that space in Bantam? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think cause we're always, again, we're always looked at as the hockey guys, like whenever, I mean, we all went to the same school. So though, you know, those are the hockey kids. Um, and you know, we, we wouldn't, 
really branch out. We wouldn't really make any friends outside of, you know, the group. Um, and we would, you know, we'd always stick together um, in hockey and school. Uh, and, you know, we, we'd hang out afterwards. We wouldn't really hang out with anyone else. It was just kind of our clique, our team. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, why we had such a good team that year as well, too. Um, mm-hmm. We were we were very tight-knit, and, and a lot of teams are like that. Now, I think such a big focus for Glory in particular is community and representation in sport. And I think there are multiple levels to community. There's sort of a surface level of, okay, we have a shared experience of playing a sport. And then there is a deeper level of community of, okay, there is a sort of undeniable mutual respect and and care for those in the hockey community and and beyond and obviously as the first gay player on an nhl contract in in the history of the sport you carry a very particular space in in the idea of community and i'm curious i read such an incredible there's such an amazing feature i'm sure you're aware but i really encourage everyone to go read um the story on the athletic because it just is such a, a beautiful feature i'm curious the idea of community when you were first broaching when you told your family when you told your agent when it was about to be public were those considerations of okay i'm sort of in limbo between this community of the lgbtq community and the the hockey community how can i bridge those together yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, I was terrified because I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I knew it was it was all going to work out. But I think our brains are always just trained for the negative. So I was always, you know, thinking about, you know, if, if what if things didn't go well and if I wouldn't be able to play hockey again and um, things like that and, um, I got to a point where, you know, I just didn't really care what the opinion of myself was going to be. Um, I was fine if, you know, it's, I think it's hard for people to understand that it was hard for me to be able to say that I could step away from the game if, if I wasn't accepted, but everyone always says, you know, hockey's just a game. You know, there's always, there's life afterwards, um, and you can only play it for so long. So I was, I was, again, I was totally fine with, you know, not being able to to play anymore and just being who I wanted to be. Um, because I found, I found the love with, from my family and from my friends, the people that cared about me the most. Um, they showed me that I, it was okay to be who I was. And that was all I needed. If I, I would get into the game of hockey again at some point, whether that being coaching or, an agent or you know things like that but as a player i was i was totally away good uh, i was totally okay with stepping away from the game and um being able now to look back and and bridge the two gaps um it was something really special i think a lot of a lot of individuals in my community needed um the amount of messages i received not just from you know the hockey world but outside too um seeing an inspiring story like mine and uh, being able to, to um, uh, what the what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, 
being able to compare and relate to my story is was something that I found a lot of people resonated with. So uh, I'm just very grateful and, and thankful that there was the reaction that it was. Yeah, and I, for lack of a better word, it is. It's just it's so badass, Luke. And <laughs> I think that's a mindset when someone is whether it's taking a stand or whether it is speaking a truth that needs to be told. I think there has to be an acceptance. I think we've seen in the history of sport of, okay, I might be risking a dream. I might be risking my identity as a hockey player to yeah. speak truth to him. We've, we've seen that with, I mean, I just uh, about a month and a half ago, finished the Bill Russell documentary on, on Netflix. And it's sort of, he, you know, it's the thought of I'm willing to give up this dream. That means everything to me for a much larger message. And not a lot of people are willing to do it's, it's a scary prospect. No one would know that better than yourself, but we've, you know, I've thought to myself like, of you're not the only hockey player who no, is yeah. part of the LGBT community. You're the first one to step out, but there are people who I'm sure are still too afraid. And of course, respect everyone's everyone's journey, but are afraid to even reach out and say, you know, you're speaking to me, Luke, but I'm curious if, if there were, it was a particular message from a fan or a loved one or an interaction um, of someone saying, you know, you are speaking to me, you're offering space to me that touched you particularly. I think it's, if I look back on my messages, it's kind of hard to read the emotional pain that someone else has on the other side. Um, but in person, it's completely different. You can see it on their face. You can see it in how they speak to you. And I was very lucky this year um, to have such a great relationship with our fans in Seattle. They, they're they an unbelievable group. Um, they're the loudest in the league. They're a little bit crazy at sometimes, but they're so passionate about our team. Um, and the team gives us a lot of leeway in being able to see them after games um and and not really see them beforehand but i had a ritual where i go out to the bench and to get to the bench i had to go through the stand so i would always talk to fans and stuff beforehand before games and things like that um but i met these two young ladies uh in seattle who i i established a, a very unique relationship with them um they're both part of the community and just being able to talk to them about their struggles and with their identity and, and their family struggles and um, how much I've helped them. You know, I've, I, I've shed a lot of tears just thinking about how much pain that they've had to go through um, and how hard it was for them and how still how hard it is for them with them being in school and, and things like that. Um, so those, those two, those two ladies that I had a relationship with, um, had a friendship with this season was was really special and uh, we kind of had our last little farewell goodbye um, a few days ago but I made sure that you know that they know that they can message me at any time I'll always be there for them I'll always answer them um, so I'm gonna miss them but those two uh, kind of really hit me hit me hard that's such a uniquely special connection and and I have a feeling there are going to be a lot more coming up towards the end of this month where you're able to attend your correct me if I'm wrong, your your 
first pride parade in Toronto um, since coming out and, and because of, of course, COVID sort of prolonged us being able to host the pride parade again. I'm curious um, what your expectations are for that weekend. If there are any nerves, not in the sense of it's going to be a beautiful celebration, but in terms of, oh my God, this might be just an overwhelming experience of joy and love and just so many energies at once. Yeah. It, yeah. It, sorry. It is my first uh, pride event. And I don't know. I have a lot of, uh, I think, questions in my own head that will be answered once I go to Toronto for Pride. Um, I think it's because I've kind of been sheltered a little bit just with hockey. Like, I haven't been able to do a whole lot of stuff out in public yet. Um, mm. I go to go to certain events, um, and I'm going to... Uh, uh, the Seattle Pride Hockey Tournament here this weekend, so that'll be really fun, and then and then Toronto Pride as well. But I'm just really looking forward just to be in a space where we all we all feel comfortable to be ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that I went to Toronto last year just to hang out, and um, being on Church Street was was an eye opener for me too. Just being in a place where everyone felt comfortable being themselves, and you know felt loved and. Um, I'm just really looking forward to that moment when I feel it, when I'm walking on the parade. I'm curious if, if there was any difficulty initially when, you know, you, you came out and the idea of community, I think for everyone was shifted a little bit by being, we were all isolated to some degree and, you know, you're not able to sort of find communities in the, in the same sense. Was that a unique challenge during that time, particularly? During which time, sorry. So it just like things were sort of up in the air with COVID still. There was less sort of gathering generally. Um, and during, you know, such a um, a celebratory time in your life, it, it, it was kind of difficult, I suppose, to even get together with crowds for, for moments like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think COVID, though, helped me tremendously. Um, mm-hmm. as much as it was a, a crappy time for everyone and, you know, weren't allowed to see friends, family, you know, people were dying. Um, people were very sick. I took the time to kind of find myself. I spent a lot of time with myself. Um, just thinking about what I want, what I want to do with life, um, how I want to live my life. Um, so there were a lot of a lot of difficult and dark days, but I mean there was such a bright light at the end of the tunnel. And um, through COVID, I think it was very good because I was able to selectively tell who I wanted to, without having mm-hmm. to be worried about them going and telling other people, because you weren't allowed to you know go to parties or have gatherings more than five, ten people at certain times. So obviously I trusted them with telling my secret, but I knew that they weren't, if, you know, if they got drunk at a party or something and somehow it slipped out, I knew that wasn't really going to happen because we couldn't do those things. Um, Mm. So it was, it was a difficult time, but I definitely found myself during COVID. And um, I mean, honestly, I'm a little grateful for it because I don't know where I would be without, without that time. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've had people close to me even express 
the same thing. And there's always that preface of, you know, it was such a dark time for so many people. And, and of course, there is that preface to it. But it was also, in some ways, it's a really serendipitous time for that self-reflection as well, of course. And I think as well, a lot of people ended up returning home. I read that being in Edmonton, specifically being around family sort of act as a catalyst. Do you see that city? Is it a particularly comforting place for you? Like, does it really feel like home? Did it help act as a catalyst? Be Oh, wow, this is me like did it offer that extra sense of self during that time i think so yeah um edmonton's always going to be home for me um no matter how shitty the weather is or um everything like that it's always it's always going to be home for me and um being in a place where i felt comfortable uh, at home to do it to start my coming out process because i honestly i hadn't really even thought about it when i was playing in calgary at the time I mean, it had crossed my mind, but um, just being, I think, in a state of complete comfortability um, with my surroundings, where I was, I was at home, I was with my family, surrounded by my friends sometimes. Um, so that, yeah, that 100% helped a lot. And at the same time, you're still so young today and so young at the time. I wonder if that experience, do you think it of helped I don't know, really accelerate an emotional maturity. And, you know, there is this sort of inherent responsibility. Maybe that's unfair to some degree, but I'm sure you understood at the time, okay, I am representing something a little bigger than just Luke's story. I'm representing a lot of people's stories. Do you think this process has accelerated that maturity on your end? A little bit. I think hockey does a really good job already of maturing you. Um okay. I mean, I was I was living away from home uh, at 14 years old. I had to learn how to you know cook, how to do laundry, uh, little things like that. Um, speaking to media, you know, you learn how to speak to media and, and use your words in correct ways and make sure you're using good sentences and things like that. I mean, obviously, some players are are still pretty brutal at that, but. Um, I think I was again. I, I was. I think I was always a little bit mature beyond my years, even beforehand. Um, mm. I had a lot of. I've had a lot of people tell me that, kind of being described as an old soul. Um, so I think it it helped accelerate a little bit because I realized I was again, yeah, representing not just myself anymore. I was representing a lot, a lot of people's stories, um, and. I, and that didn't hit me until the day that I came out. I didn't realize how many, you know, people's lives I would be affecting. Um, mm. And I still probably don't realize the, the uh, amount of pressure or um, pressure wouldn't be the right word. Um, I probably don't realize the, the impact I actually did have on the community. Um, I, I mean, it, it's probably going to take, you know, a couple more years to really, really have that feeling of, you know, how, how many people I, I truly impacted um, and how big it was for the sport and for the people of my community. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of lost now. I don't know really where to go from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, 
yourself and another another figure that just it just warms my heart um as well and I'm, I'm curious what role he's played in your your hockey um world and and your process of sort of coming out in your sense of self as well as brian burke who's such an incredible advocate in the sport and um again this is, is totally on me but i think from the outside vantage point he has such a rough tough exterior and you know on the inside there's this such a caring empathetic thoughtful person i'm curious what role he played i know you guys had some communication obviously he has such a personal connection with the community and of course a veteran of the hockey community himself yeah uh it was funny because i actually met brian when i was uh 14 years old uh, I had just been drafted to Calgary and I was going down to sign my Western Hockey League uh, agreement. And uh, they took me for a tour of the Saddle Dome. And that's when he was still working with the Flames. Um, and I remember he was in a boardroom just kind of by himself. And I got the chance to introduce myself. And it was, I mean, it was very intimidating. Um, you hear him talk on TV and he kind of seems as the as the guy that, you know, would be totally against it um against my community just with his his presence and the way he speaks and again like you said his kind of rough um rough personality i guess you would kind of say maybe or rough appearance um but he's he's been extremely helpful with me um again with having you know his his personal ties with his son and i mean he's we've had conversations for you know the past two years now um just he's he's always checking in on me asking me how i'm doing and things like that um he phones me every once in a while kind of usually at the end of the year um just to see how my season was going and obviously he got a little bit busy with being in pittsburgh and um and having a you know working um but he's he's always taking the time to to make sure i'm doing well and checking in on me and watching a game if he can. Um, I know he was messaging me um, quite a bit during the Memorial Cup. So he was, he was rooting for, for our team and, and myself, uh, which is, which has always been nice. Um, and to have a guy like that who is so well known in the hockey community, in the inside, in the, in the general managers, coaches, everyone knows who he is. Um, he was one of the conversations I had where it gave me more confidence in, in what I was doing and that it would be okay with what I was doing. Um, Cause he, he know, he would know from firsthand how it would be, um, how it would be picked up by everyone in the, in the inside of the hockey game. So um, I'm very grateful for Brian and his friendship and, um, and how he's helped me with my journey. And obviously such a special figure, but I think unfortunately also a bit of a unique figure um, in a hockey culture that this is from my personal vantage point has a lot of work to do in terms of creating a safe space for various marginalized communities where we've heard narratives around both race and religion, sexuality that feel like honestly, they, they could have been from decades ago. And so Mm -hmm. I guess I'm, curious how allies and members of, of all of these communities how do you think we can help make a the nhl a more 
diverse accepting arena because of course that helps grow the game as well talented players might not play because they feel alienated during their childhood they might not find that accelerant that you found heading towards your bantam years so i'm curious how a fans and teammates can be better allies and and what steps we need to take to make it a more inclusive space um I mean, that's such a tough question because there can be so many things that, you know, people can do. Um, I think one thing personally from experience, it seems like every teammate I've had the past two years has known someone outside of me that was in the community. Um, so I think everyone is kind of has a, has a personal tie to the community now, whether that be a friend or a family member. Um, and just hearing their stories, I think is, is huge. Um, you know, being able to tell my story with my teammates and I think they gain a, a lot of respect for me for, you know, for what I had to do, um, what I was going through at that time. Um, and they can find, you know, similar, um, ties within their, within their life, whether that, I mean, a lot of people speak up about mental health now and, you know, that's, that's a really big, you know, thing with our community and because we're, we're not as accepted as, as we should be. Um, mm -hmm. As allies. Um, geez, I don't know. <sighs> You're speaking with Quinn, who is this really, really neat figure. They're the first non-binary and, and, trans athlete to ever win an olympic gold they play for the women's uh national soccer team and they were saying you know a very easy thing is to just incorporate your language as if you are surrounded by a loved one in that community and i think it's just like yeah. make it automated to some degree because i'm not sure i won't assume for you but i've been in locker rooms my whole life as an athlete as a as a media member and there are comments made, not necessarily with hate or any vitriol, but it's just an automatic language that's used, mm -hmm. that's outdated, that is derogatory. And when you love someone in that community, when you're a part of the community, it hits you very differently. So I, I, I think, do you feel like there just has to be a bit of a way to get those automated sort of phrases terms out of the hockey vocab yeah it seems like it's kind of just like a, a go-to thing you that you know guys can say and they think it's okay um i mean i've been on two teams now and i've heard you know i've heard um gay used twice and in the whole time I've been on those two teams. Um, so, I mean, it, it probably helps that, you know, they have a member of the community on their team. They're a lot more careful with their words, but yeah, that is a hundred percent something that, that can easily be easily be changed. Um, you know, just with the replacement of that, of a word um, to help, you know, make hockey more of a accepting place, definitely in the locker room as, as an athlete who, um, is in the team, but still trying to figure out themselves. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I heard it growing up. Um, I never really found it affecting me because I didn't know 
kind of entirely yet of of my sexuality and who I was. Um, and I hear it now, and I'm like, even even out of context, like it, I've never no one said it. To, no one has said it towards me. Um, but you know, sometimes just being in social settings, um, hearing someone use it to call a group of guys or something like that uh, is it just hits you differently. I think being a member of the, you don't realize how much of an impact it does have that, you know, one or two words has on someone within, you know, the, the community. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're never looking for a quote just for the sake of a quote. I'm just really curious of your perspective. It was such a large narrative i'll say personally i i found it disappointing um i've I've heard mixed thoughts from players from media of a handful of whether it was teams whether it was players stepping away from wanting to wear the pride jerseys this year and again it was something that really viscerally hit me i'm curious what your initial feelings were and if they've shifted it all since like that initial gut reaction. And, and, you know, obviously it's been a few months since those headlines have, have circulated the sports world and then whether the, the feeling has changed at all. Yeah. It's funny you brought that up. Cause I was actually looking back at a couple of my tweets. I posted kind of about the whole situation. Um, yeah. It, it's been a, it's been a little while since those, uh, the first one came about and had a, had a lot of time to kind of reflect on it. Um, and I think my opinion has changed a little bit. Um, I think that as a player, you don't have an obligation, but you are a role model, whether that be for you know, certain communities, all communities, whatever, um, you have to give some respect to them in the sense that they are doing it out of, you know, their beliefs, um, their religion, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, for the most part, sometimes that's just entirely bullshit. Um, But I think, you know, I had that freedom to come out and, you know, say what I believe. Every player should have that platform to to um to be able to speak freely about you know how they feel however the thing that i took away from it the most was it wasn't like you putting on the jersey for 15 minutes isn't going to affect the way you feel about the community it's just it's just a respect thing i found for me you just you don't have to agree with the community you don't have to you know do all these things outside of hockey to show that you agree. You just have to respect it. Um, you know, I, I felt for guys on the teams who, um, you know, I've connected with that have family members on, you know, from mm-hmm. they have a brother or a sister within the community, and then they have a player on their team, a, a brother, you know, we call ourselves brothers, and, you know, they don't go out and wear a pride jersey um, for, for warm-up. Uh, I wouldn't know how to react in that situation with with having a, a teammate like that. Um, I wouldn't be comfortable talking to them really about family or my, if I, it was my brother, if it was my sister, if it was my mom or my dad or my best friend. 
I wouldn't know about how to go, how I would handle that. Um, Mm. But one thing I think that I've found within my team and um, just hearing their thoughts about everything that's kind of happened, um, which I I do agree with to some point, I do feel like we are sometimes pushing it too much on, um, on the heterosexual community. Like, if we're just throwing everything at them all at once, they're not going to be able to handle it. They're not going to know how to react. Um, so being able to kind of slowly integrate it, I think is, is something that has been happening within hockey, um, which is, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, I remember the morning I woke up, I had a bunch of messages already on my phone from, Mm from parents, from past coaches, from teammates, things like that, asking me my, what my opinion on it was. And um, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a hard position for me to be in because again, I am kind yeah. of the, one of the only ones who, uh, who has to speak on it and um, whose opinion on it is, is kind of uh, looked towards, looked upon to, to have a statement about it. So there, there was kind of a bit of pressure on me to, to do something about it. So, look, we've done a lot of reflection on ideas of community and specifically within the hockey culture. I'm curious, I'm sure you've had the chance to do this already with, through through fans and community initiatives, and you'll be doing it, I'm sure, at the end of the month as well. But if you could give any advice to a young athlete who is also, like a lot of young people, searching for their identity, what, would, what advice might, might you offer? Um, I think for surrounding yourself with a with a group of people, whether that be your family or your friends that you feel comfortable around. Um, I was lucky enough to have very accepting parents and, and friends, and not everyone has that. So, you know, whether that be a few friends, um, a teacher, um, you know, anyone that you feel comfortable enough to kind of be yourself around um is is huge and just taking it once kind of step at a time it's it's a a long process but you can't rush it you have to do it on your own time um and and being able to tell your story when you want it i remember when i was going through my process like my sister uh she was kind of pushing me to tell my parents and I was just telling, like, I'm not comfortable yet. I'm not there yet. And she didn't really understand that. Um, But only you, the person who's going through it, understands it. Um, And there's uh, one thing I didn't realize. There's such a community out there that, you know, they're not blood. They barely even know you, but they'll do anything for you. Um, There's a love, a universal love within our community that's, that's unbelievable. And it's so amazing to be a part of. Um, and very special. Um, so those those would probably be kind of the three messages I would give. And obviously, we're now looking ahead towards your career. You're coming off of two very, very impressive seasons. Again, we we mentioned it is so young in your career still. I'm curious. You have an off season to reflect on it. It might be tough to put into to view now. But what are some of the core bucket list items for this upcoming season looking to 2023 2024 what is on the top of of luke's hockey checklist 
Um, I mean, first and foremost, taking a little bit of a break. Uh, <laughs> long two summers, or long two seasons, sorry. Um, mm. Literally made it the farthest you can uh, in both seasons. Thankfully, uh, not very injured, and my body's sore and exhausted, so getting that kind of just rested up. Um, hanging, hanging out with my friends all, all the time. Um, and then getting back into it with hockey, um, continuing just to improve my skating. Um, you can never be too fast at, at that level. Um, and trying to grow my game again in, in all areas, my offensive side of my game. I'm kind of known for, for the defensive part of my game. Um, so working on that a bit. Um, and yeah, and kind of just seeing where where um, hockey's going to take me. It's going to be an interesting um, fall just to kind of see where I end up. There's there's quite a few possibilities, so I'm excited for for what's to come in the future. Hilarious question to be asked at this point in your summer, though. For context, <laughs> for those listening, Luke is just barely out of the Memorial Cup Finals. So thinking about your bucket list right now, you're thinking, <laughs> I, I need to have fun. I need to reconnect with friends. I need to take a little bit of time to recover. And very, very well-deserved, Luke. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. And we look forward to, uh, to catching up with you more in the future, of course. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Once again, I want to give a very, very big thank you to Luke for taking the time on a very exceptionally busy weekend in his schedule to take the time to speak with us, to shoot with us, and, and to tell his story. It is one that's so valuable, I think, to the NHL in particular. So I really, really appreciated every bit of insight that he could give into how hockey culture is evolving, where we need to go from here, and also his experiences, one of the elite defensemen in the WHL right now. We cannot wait to see where Luke's journey takes him next season. We can't wait to see how he contributes to Nashville's roster in the years to come, how he can continue to emulate his childhood hero, Shea Weber, and others. Luke, you're such an important, vital piece to hockey's culture right now, not just for what you produce on the ice, but what you offer the community off the ice. So thank you so much for listening. Luke, thank you for joining the program, and stay tuned for more episodes from some of Canada's most impactful athletes coming soon on Detours, a Glory Sports Podcast.